How many of y'all have just really enjoyed the rain in this season? The heavens are open, and we need the rain, amen? We need the rain. Hey, this morning I want to just talk about together this realization that humanity, because we bear the image of God, we are hardwired builders. Agree or disagree? We are, we are our co- humanity's capacity to build, to engineer, to create, to take raw stuff, material, and to align it and shape it, and poof, out comes a processor. There, there really is, within the very fabric of human DNA, because we bear the image of the Creator, we are hardwired builders. So tonight, uh, sorry, this morning's talk really is not a matter of if you're a builder, it's to what end are you building and to whose glory? It's just irrevocable. Humanity, we are hardwired builders. You just take two two-year-olds, give them a backhoe scooper in the sand, little, poof. come on, anyone ever seen that happen to we are hardwired builders, but unfortunately, because apart from the redemptive work of Christ applied to our lives by faith through the Spirit and His grace, usually what we build is to our own ruin. Do I have anyone out there who's ever built what you thought was right or good, but you forgot to check in with God? <laughs> And, and there is a, there's a story that really serves as the prototype, the, the story of humanity building apart from making God and his wisdom and his ways the foundation of what we're building. So the, 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 the reality is unprecedented ability to build within the very framework and nature of hum, humanity. But what we'll see from the story in Genesis 11, if you would open your Bibles or your smartphones or your tablets, you will see it doesn't always go well when we set out to building. And once you're there, just say amen. Genesis 11. It says this, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Wah, wah, wah. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But, someone say, but, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Whoa! It's in the Hebrew. Whoa! (laughs) Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called 
Babel, because there, everyone say there, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And what we see from this story, if you joined us in in the Bible reading plan, you're well past Genesis, and if you haven't, there's still time to pick up the book. Amen? Come on, how many know there's still time? As long as your heart's ticking, there's still time to jump in. But what we just see from the very creation mandate is God making humanity to bear His image. In the image of God, He made them male and female. And what did He tell these humans to do? To get married, have lots of kids, fill the earth, and to partner with God in ruling and subduing bringing the beauty, the potential, the glory that humans shared with God in the garden and to build out of the garden into all of creation, cities and neighborhoods and culture, all for the purpose of human flourishing and the glory of God and the good of man being unified and married. From the very beginning when God built humans out of, you know, he was playing with dirt. We should know from the very beginning. And he breathed the divine ruach, the breath of his very presence into that little lump of dirt. From the beginning, God has made us to build stuff. There's just no debate about it. Obviously, as we've already said, it's not a matter of if, but what we will build. And what we see from this passage is the whole world had one language. I'm just going to now just preach through the text so you can take notes with me. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And what you find if you read just in one sitting, you can do it in half hour, Genesis 1 through 12, you'll see that the further humanity goes east, the worse it goes for them. And that'll preach, Californians, let's go. (laughs) If you read, when, when God banished Adam and Eve, where did he send them? They left Eden eastward. When Cain slayed his brother and God put a mark over Cain's body so that he would not be uh, vengefully attacked, he sent him eastward and Lamech and Noah and the whole story of humanity moving away from the source and sustenance of life instead of submitting to his wisdom of naming good and evil for the purpose of human flourishing, the good of creation and his glory. The further we move east, the more trouble we get into. Come on somebody, that'll preach. That's why once you move to California, it's really hard to move east. The characteristic mark of humanity's failure up to this point has been when we attempted to grasp at good on our own terms instead of trusting God to name it for us. So they move east. Everyone say, I ain't moving east. If I build, it's not going east. So they said to each other, come, let's make bricks, sorry, and bake them thoroughly. So they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And what we see here is, how many have someone in their life that you would just say is insatiably creative? They're just, raise your hand. You just know someone that, they're like MacGyver on steroids. (laughs) MacGyver, great example. Let's strike that from the record. But what we see here is it's not just some commentary on, thank you, writer of Genesis, for telling us what they used to build. This represents human ingenuity. Did you know God has given us unbelievable potential? He's given us an insatiable desire to be creative and to think of how things work and how to make them work better. Come on, how many know that person to call when your thing is broke and it needs to work better? 
This also represents advancement. How many know we have come a long way from Fred and Wilma Flintstone's stone-wheeled foot car? This passage in Genesis 11.3 represents that as humanity continued to build eastward, God did not remove His image from them. They still had the ability and the capacity to, to engineer and to advance technologically. And instead of using the traditional methods of, of building, they could invent the bricks and the, 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 the mortar. And, and I just want to say from the very beginning, God has placed unbelievable capacity in every person in this room to build. Who you are is unbelievably important for God's purposes in this hour on into the age to come. You have this capacity, this ability to create and to engineer and to bring blessing and advancement. And I am just convinced that God has placed stuff in His people that until we come into the realization, revelation, that He doesn't want us to play it small, but to offer who we are for His glory, that there are solutions to the world's problems. There is justice where there is wrong. There is people who are sitting wondering, how does this fit and how does it work? And one of our desires today and then tonight is to begin to give you permission to say yes to what God has put in you and to rise and shine and grow and blossom. So they said, come, let's build a city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. It is undeniable that one of the great fears, you can see this in little kids all the way up to big old grown adults who are better at masking it. One of our greatest fears is being alone with our thoughts, with our darkness with ourselves and so we see when humanity as broken and jacked up as this story illustrates there's something that building together gives us a sense of this is in no particular order but when we everyone say we when we build together it produces a sense of identity both collectively and individually uh, you see in the story, let's build this big city for our glory and this huge tower that reaches the heavens so that we're not scattered. We're not left to uh, the, the wild out there. Let's build something together. And there's this thing in the very DNA of humanity that that which we build for harm and for good is supposed to give us a sense of identity. How many have seen that for both good and for harm? Where we get so wrapped up in who we are and what we're producing, we think that's our identity. There's this sense of when we build together, it gives us a collective sense of purpose. Everyone say purpose. When we realize that more good can happen if we rally together instead of doing it alone. There's the obvious sense of building together produces a sense of security. We don't want to be scattered, so let's come together so that if someone who has a bigger or brighter idea, who thinks their version of good is better than our version of good, let's rally together so that we can provide a stronghold, a safety net, if you will, of security against opposing threats. We see, obviously, what we build produces a sense of, again, for good and for bad, reputation, what we're known for, accomplishment, fulfillment. And we see in this story, we see humans building civilization, a city, for their own good and their own glory. But all of these things still ring true in the positive sense. When we build, and how we build, and who we build with, really, really matters to God. If you agree, say amen. 
And so Babel is this prototype of the human building propensity on full display. You send us somewhere, we will gather with someone and we will build something. No question. But the question that remains, who's going to hold this city together? And I would propose that this story reveals that when humans are at the center of their building project, we are not strong enough. We do not have the capacity, yes, to build, but not to hold it together. We're not strong enough. Wherever God has been deposed or pushed to the margin, some substitute has to be created to bind humanity together in some fashion or the other. But when the Lord disappears from the center of community life, the seeds of dispersal and fragmentation, the loss of communication are sown. In other words, when we build to our own means and purposes and glory and we push God to the margins, the center piece that is to hold and sustain and resource what we're building together is no longer found because it's not found within us. I remember several years ago I was studying human civilizations and cultures and the great dynasties that have taken place through the years from the, the biblical times on into to modern historical times. And you know what I found out? There's always some other dude with a bigger horse and a bigger sword. <laughs> from one dynasty or empire or emperor or king or kingdom or whatever, we are not sufficient to be the center piece of what we build. And so the Lord comes down to see the city and the tower and the people that they were building. And it's funny because here they are in all of their creativity and their ingenuity and their talent and their ability and their unity, even misplaced. That even our best attempt, the Lord still comes down to see. Come on, somebody. He is more glorious, greater his perspective and his vision for life and things will always trump our own. So there's this sense of, you got you knuckleheads, you tried to build apart from me, but I still have to come down. The humans forgot one small, minute detail in their endeavor to build a city for their own glory. They forgot God. Am I talking to anyone today that you've just forgot God? <laughs> you forgot to check in. You didn't factor him into the equation. And therefore, Babel and then Babylon, because of this grand blunder, it really does from Genesis 11 all the way, I just read in my devotions this morning, Revelation 18 and 19, Babylon and Babel becomes this definitive representation of the pinnacle of human rebellion. Babylon, Babel. A civilization built to humanity's own glory and good with God at the margins or pushed out altogether. And then the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Can you grasp the weight of those words with me? Do you think God was joking when he said this? That humans have unbelievable potential to build things. He literally says, nothing will be impossible for them. And I'm convinced this is way more than a ling linguistics issue. Yes, they had the same language, but 
the revelation Jesus will tell us in Matthew 12, 34, that our language or what comes out of our mouth really revolves and reflects of what is going on in our hearts. And what we see in Babel in this story and what we see far too often in our own lives, in the church included, is that our building is off because our hearts are not right with the Lord. He saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every, someone say every, that every, not the occasional, (laughs) not the one-off, inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Bummer. (laughs) Right? It's because we bought into the lie that God and His goodness were alone sufficient to be the source of true wisdom and a life of flourishing and purpose, and identity. Because we bit the fruit, we have not stopped feeling the effects of humanity being at the center and God on the margins. We have seen, we have to see in this passage, the sheer power and potential for rebellious humans that they can take their grit, desire, and determination and build something great. I'm going to get to the real big point here. Which is to say, the power of a common vision purpose and plan and blueprint is arguably one of the most powerful forces on the earth. And I like to say that why the Old Testament is still so rich and why we don't just read the New Testament as believers, but we read the whole counsel of God as we see this, this picture, this story that reveals the inner reality in outward terms. So we get to see these humans gathering east to build a civilization for their own name and for their own glory. And we see, if that's what humans can do in a state of rebellion, then my goodness, what can happen if humans come into agreement and alignment with God to build something for His glory, not their own? If God has to step down and says, I've got to put a stop to this, because if they accomplish this, they'll, nothing will be impossible for them. And God knows that if humans, instead of rebelling, will submit to His governance, his rulership, that God really literally wants to build a city, a civilization with his loving, healing, saving presence at the center, with his wisdom and his ways serving as the foundation and the prophetic picture all throughout Ezekiel 47 and Psalm chapter 2 and obviously at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, he wants us to build with a flowing river down the middle of our construction site that represents his spirit and his wisdom. So if humans in their great rebellion can build something that God says, if they accomplish it, nothing will be impossible. I would say 2019, Cornerstone Church family, if you and I will get bit with the common vision for His glory, not our own, nothing will stop what God wants to build. Because the last time I checked in the Bible, it says that where sin abounded, grace abounds all the more. And so if this, we don't just lift up this crummy example. We say, if this is true in sin, what can become true in righteousness? Come on. What would it look like if we, the redeemed of Jesus, came together with such an all-encompassing, unified, unlimited potential, and we sought to b- build toward a city for the glory of God? And I just put, wow. <laughs> what could happen? What could happen? If we looked in this room and there's, I don't know, probably 150-ish, including kids that came today, I don't know, 160. If we would de- listen, I was thinking this morning in my devotions, you know, because people can hear what I'm saying and they go, oh, Pastor Chad, he's just, he had a vision of Christian utopia. 
And let me tell you, there's no such thing as Christian utopia. Do you hear me? This is not a spinoff of liberal, progressive human ideology that we'll get more advanced and more evolved and we'll figure out the world's problems. Baloney. What we're being called into, I wrote it down, because of the fallout of sin, shame and blame and fear and lack and self-preservation and strife and relationships between God, ourselves, and the other. From Cain and Abel, Lamech and Noah, we have been bent on being our own God. And tragically, the result has been death, injustice, violence, manipulation, treating people not as image bearers, but as property or possessions or just means to our own ends of pleasure and desire. If this is the depth of our condition, we don't just accidentally get into a space and a place where we can begin to partner with God in building the eternal city. I thought about this, Christian utopia doesn't exist. Look at the language used for those who have come out of Babylon into the kingdom of light. Repentance. You know what repentance means? You dethrone yourself and confess there's another king and another ruler named Jesus. What's the initiation into the community of saints? Baptism. You know what baptism is? You don't just slide on in. It is a dying and a rising with Christ. Your old life is gone. You know what's central to the call to follow Jesus is? To pick up your cross. You know what the cross is? It's not a gold shiny necklace. It is an execution stake. <laughs> we are called, our identity, our fundamental identity is those who have been crucified with Christ. Self-denial. Oh. To put off the old self. To take up the posture of the humble servant. To bear with each other in love. To forgive seven times seventy. I just made a little list. There's no such thing as Christian utopia. There's just such a thing as a people who've surrendered their lives to the lordship of the king. We lay down our pride and our own prejudice and preference and say, doggone it. We want to build with the human capacity surrendered and infused with the very life of Jesus pulsating in our spirit. Beloved, the capacity of God can repopulate the earth with Noah and his eight. What could he do in this city and in this region if he would impregnate by his spirit a vision and a dream unified around Jesus and a group of people in 2019? Come, so he says, I'm just telling you, I don't believe in Christian utopia. I don't have my head up the sand. Or I don't. Oh, Chad, you're just young. Bull. I, just, I know the only way to get in on proper building is through the things I just said. Repentance and baptism. Anyway, they, we don't, oh, I'm going to stop building Babel. No. <laughs> Cross. Jesus. His blood. His spirit. His forgiveness. His transformation. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Come, let's go down and confuse their language. Thanks, Lord. <laughs> so they won't understand each other and the obvious implication here is if we don't understand each other, we can't build together. Oh, <laughs> oh I hate that. <laughs> How many know almost every breakdown within the church or without is a breakdown of communication and language? Language matters. It's at the very heart and foundation. If you study sociology or, or cultures or civilizations, language is the top or top do that has the capacity and power to form culture, obviously. What we say creates the world in which we live and the framework and the worldview through which the lens we see. Language. 
This is why as Christ followers, we don't just follow trends or fads. We're not just trying to be clever and keep up with whatever the dude or the dudette's saying on TV. As believers, the scriptures become the, the orienting, infusing source to fill our language so that when we speak, we don't just speak our opinion, we speak the oracles of God. The scriptures. So the Lord came and scattered them from over all of the earth and they stopped building the city. Now if you're here today and maybe you're like Adam and Eve and you say God is just grumpy, that's why he scattered them. He was just having a bad day. He didn't want this these humans to succeed. He was just grumpy. But as he banished Adam and Eve from the garden, and as he put a mark on Cain's body, and as he judged the earth but saved the earth through Noah, how many know a revelation of his judgment is a revelation of his mercy simultaneously? In his mercy, God steps down and he says, no, I won't have it. I won't have my image-bearing pinnacle of my creative power and purpose. I will not let them build a civilization without reference to me. Come on, how many know this is his infinite mercy? Have you ever seen what humans can do to each other when they thought they were the ones naming good and evil? Have you ever turned on the news? Have you ever flipped open the app or the newspaper? Have you seen the links to which we can go to destroy instead of create and cultivate? God steps down and says, I know I've given you an unbelievable capacity to build, but I won't let you build apart from me. Not for the long haul. And so he steps in, not because he's grumpy or he wants us to be miserable, but he steps in his infinite goodness and kindness and he says, no. He says no to a civilization built upon the faulty foundation of the evil, hubris, rebellious, arrogant, vindictive, selfish, violent, murderous, lust-filled, greedy human heart. I ran out of language. There's more. Come on, somebody. This isn't pop psychology that you're just basically good. You are basically sinful and you need a Savior and He wants to make you good from the inside out. You're good in as much as you bear his image and he loves you. You're not a failure or all of that is true. But the fundamental human problem is that we are bent on worshiping ourselves and that which we create instead of the creator God. Just read Romans 1, 18 through 32. It's a really happy list. And the best news we can give people is not to ignore their sin, but to lovingly say there's a solution for it. <laughs> Jesus, you cannot build on yourselves without reference to me. Without my presence, come on somebody, and my wisdom and my word and my ways infusing your thoughts and inclinations, it will be to your demise once you complete this city. So they stopped building the city, but make no make mistake about it. The image bearers were scattered and they continued to build little cities and civilizations for themselves. Babel was just the materialization or actualization of what has been happening in humanity's heart from the beginning which was to build for our own glory and namesake. Am I talking to anyone today who had to be rudely awakened that life was not fundamentally about you, but about somebody else? Or am I the only one? <laughs> this is the good news. And that is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. 
And what's super interesting, if you flip over to the New Testament in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul picks up on this exact idea and he ties it to the brilliance and wisdom of God so that now scattered humanity would come to a place of brokenness and revelation that they're not sufficient to build and sustain their own culture. They'd have an ability to be awakened to the reality that there's a God who loves them and is for them if they'll just submit to him. Look what it says in Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. Look at that, built. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath to everything. And from one man, he made all of the nations that they should inhabit, what? The whole earth. And he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this, why? So that they would seek him and perhaps Reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And in the past, God let all of the nations go their own way. And he overlooked their ignorance, like building and worshiping, creating creative things instead of the creator. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So the Lord scatters humanity that they would come to the end of themselves and begin to seek another way forward that didn't revolve them at the center, but God. Oh my goodness. You are a builder. The only question is, what am I building? Who am I building with and to whose glory? That's the only issue this morning. So what would God do? I find this so powerful. That was all the intro. Here comes the message. Just kidding. He scatters them all over. God, what good idea. Don't you know we're better together? I love it. What would he do? In order to save the broken sinful human condition, God chose to build a family. (laughs) So in 2019, when God sees the brokenness and the sin and the ravished nature of darkness, destroying cities and families and schools and workplaces and world. What does God want to do today if that's what he did all of those thousands of years ago? I would argue he wants to do the same thing he did after the fall of Babel, which is to build a family oriented around himself, a family whose identity and purpose flow from the redemptive, rescuing, reconciling, liberating love of Jesus to build a kingdom family whose sense of security and sufficiency comes from belonging to God and being found in his embrace. You see, when God wants to build a city that lasts, his first thing to do is to call a people to himself to become family. This is why the church has business or the church has program or the church has goods and services or the church as just some commodity that you add to your already busy life just doesn't work in the end. My friend has this phrase. He says, it's just the coin doesn't go deep enough. We went to Klondike Pizza last night. My brother-in-law's in town from Germany, and, and I looked in one of the slots of the arcade game, and there was a quarter stuck in the right-hand thing. And the coin couldn't go deep enough. And I would argue that when we 
view the church or identity as God's people as something I just go to, or I occasionally dabble in, or just the place I drop a little bit of money instead of not a, not a verb, but a noun. It's not something I go and do. It's something that I am. I am a part of a kingdom family called the church of Jesus Christ. And in that sense, logically, I don't go to church. I was the church walking to the church. And this is not some hyper-Western individualistic, I get annoyed when people say, oh, I'm the church. No, we are the church. I know you're the individual temple, but the whole New Testament is written into the Greek plural. It means you all are the temple. We get wrapped up in me, 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 me. In the kingdom, it's not me, 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 me. It's he, 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 we, 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 us, us, us. Oh, and by the way, I've got a unique plan for you too. That's the kingdom way. And how many know when we allow the Spirit to deliver us from our self-absorption, that's when we find out who we are anyway. So God says, okay, the whole world's scattered. Hmm, what should I do? I can't flood it. I just did that four chapters ago. I know. I'll call a man. Instead of going east, I'm going to call him west. <laughs> and I'm going to build a family. And it's not going to be a love that him and Sarah are are, are barren, and I love that every single one of the patriarchs are barren. It's as if the Lord prophetically all along the way says it's not going to be a natural family. From beginning to the end, it's going to be because of my supernatural electing, saving, enabling, empowering grace from the beginning to the end. So Abraham gets this promise like, you're going to bless the world, the whole nations, everyone's going to be blessed through me. Let's do it. 20 years of barrenness-ish or so. And all along Abraham's journey, he comes to these pinnacle moments where, are you going to trust me? Are you going to become a man not like the surrounding nations? Are you going to submit to my wisdom? Are you going to stay up and brave the darkness of the night and prepare the sacrifice and wait for my fire to pass through the middle instead of presuming to know how to build a civilization better than I know? Are you willing, even at the age of 90-something, to be circumcised and all of the men with you to mark Israel out from the nations? Are you willing, when I finally give you a son from your loins, are you willing to lay him down on an altar, on a mountain? You see, Abraham, at every turn of the road, there's this invitation to become a father of nations and literally the father of the seed, Jesus Christ, who will bless all of human civilization through his cross-shaped, self-emptying, sacrificial love. If we'll dethrone ourselves and say, God, in the end, you know best. We want to partner with you in building something that will last. And so he built a family. Good idea, God. But it's not just a family, it's a supernatural family. Come on, somebody. If we're going to become a family, we're going to need the supernatural part of God. <laughs> Can I get an amen? You're too stubborn. I'm too proud. You have too many weird quirks. I have too many weird hang-ups. We're going to need the Holy Spirit to make us a spiritual family. We, like... We can't, listen, this is why it's our problem in the church where we can't committee our way into what only the Holy Spirit can birth and to bring forth in a kingdom family. Oh man, that's just good preaching today. And what's interesting, what sinful, rebellious humanity sought to build on their own, a name and a city for their own glory, look at the very promise God gives the dude he wants to build a family through. Leave your country and your people and your household to the land I will show you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. (laughs) 
Come on, how many know most of our problems, they're not a problem of desire, they're a problem of misplaced desire, unsurrendered, unregenerate, unsanctified, unbreathed upon by God's wisdom and revelation. That's a good insight. Lust, that's, it's great to want that in the context of marriage, it's desire misplaced. Are you tracking with me? At every one of the desires or sins or pride, they're just a spun out version of a desire that God has put in the human heart to be fulfilled by Him and through Him and then through the covenantal framework of marriage and friendship and family and the like. So before we think about what are we going to build at Cornerstone, cities and buildings and programs and stages or events, we have to remember that the mechanism God still chooses to use to impact cities and nations and all of creation is family. Thank you, Samuel. I love you so much, my buddy. You're just helping me along, dude. I'm like, whoo. I got help in the audience today. A kingdom family. Everyone say a kingdom family. Not a natural family. There is a place and a part for the nuclear family in the kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus talks about it extensively. Matthew 18, Matthew 19, Matthew 10. But there seems to be an indication in the Gospels, if I read them correctly and humbly, Jesus has a whole lot to say about the spiritual family he came to build upon himself. A kingdom family founded upon Jesus the cornerstone. Come on, somebody say, Jesus the cornerstone. Formed in the love of the Father. Did you know this is our home base, the love of the Father? <laughs> oh my goodness, I was reflecting and just chewing on the Sermon on the Mount this week in my devotions, and I, I just got overcome when I said that the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus presenting a vision of a generous, loving, caring, merciful, just Heavenly Father. His whole ministry is showing us that God is not grumpy and out to get us. He's insatiably good. He just knows we are self-destructive by nature. We need to repent and acknowledge His Son is the true King so we can go on living and building something that will last forever. Formed in the love of the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on. Did you know Jesus said, it's better for you knuckleheads that I leave walking with you in the natural so the Holy Spirit can not just be with you but in you. Sorry for calling you knuckleheads. I said that in the plural. I meant myself. A kingdom family is saturated in the scriptures. Come on, somebody. If the scriptures were good enough to quote when Jesus is being tempted by the devil himself, do you think that they provide a framework and have the capacity to hold us in the storms when we're tempted to give up or to throw in the towel? And then a kingdom family is seized by a common vision and purpose. And what is that vision and a purpose? Well, we got to get there really quick. The Lord wants to build us into a people that host his glory and his presence and then become a people who mediate his goodness and glory to the world. In other words, I was studying the Bible this week, thinking about building a lot, and just I have all these favorite scriptures about building. And, and you know, I came to the conclusion that all of them have one common thing in mind. To build in God's kingdom is centrally to build a people. 
When we think about building, we're talking about humans, image-bearing humans, coming into agreement and alignment with Christ, saving, reconciling power. And then out of that relationship restored now through Jesus, God literally wants every person in his kingdom to grow in their capacity, their ability, their gifts, and their graces to make something beautiful together that gives glory to God and that provides a context for others to find life in him. So when we talk about building in 2019, yes, there is a building. And yes, there's things in this building that need updating and keeping. But the building is only sacred and special because there is a sacred, special people who've been marked by the blood of Jesus who inhabit this building. Are you tracking with me? So there's not an argument. Is it people or is it buildings? Well, people are being built, but people gather in places and buildings. Are you tracking with me? Mental uh, uh, gymnastics. But the vision of Scripture is, come to me, I want to build you into something special together that makes much of my glory in the earth. So as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, read it with me, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is re building humanity through Jesus Christ. And we all said amen and amen. In Christ, there is this new building. Oh, I don't have time. But, oh, when you read Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, do it later this afternoon. What do we see in Acts 2? We see a people gathered for a common purpose again. But instead of building something, a temple or a place for their own glory, they're there seeking the endowment, the infilling, the God coming down, not just part of the way, but all the way, and to fill their vessel. What do we see God do in the, the midst of this time when all of the Jewish people from 13 to 17 nations are gathered in Jerusalem, and he fills them with the Holy Spirit, and they go out declaring the wonders of God in each unique language of those represented. What we see at Pentecost is God rebuilding not some tower in the middle of some plain east of Eden, but a people becoming a temple to house his glory that he wants to send in the nations for his goodness and glory. That God, in our scatteredness, he comes to us through the saving, healing presence of Jesus, and he makes us one, now not oriented around ourselves, our own pride, or, but around Jesus Christ and him alone. He's building a new humanity out of you and me through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says in the greatest sermon ever preached, you are the light of the world. A, help me, city on a hill cannot be hid or hidden. And so the question is, what is this city on a hill built on? Spoiler alert. No one, read it with me, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So God literally, like literally, wants a people in Santa Maria on the central coast, he wants them to surrender and submit to the lordship of Jesus to offer who they are, their, their unbelievable capacity, ingenuity, creativity, he wants us to submit to Jesus 
to receive the infilling and the cleansing and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. And then he wants us to gather together to be built into something that we could never get to by some committee, but by his spirit. He wants us to become a people that house his glory and his goodness. And that when, he, when we gather, we're strengthened, we're encouraged, we're edified, we're equipped and empowered, and then we're sent out to be instruments now, not of sin and harm and violence, but instruments of righteousness. People who have been put back together again, made right with God so that we can go out and become instruments that help put right that which has gone wrong through the effects of sin. And so how do we become fit living stones? How? The answer is really, really simple. Discipleship. Because the last I checked, my stone has a couple of rough edges on it. How about you? Come on, somebody, say amen, or I'll, I'll, or I'll pick on someone out there. <laughs> but Chad, do we just come as we are? Yeah, we come as we are, but we do not stay as we are. <sighs> that would be a bummer. How many know, the more we submit to Christ's words and ways and truth, and we say yes to being formed in his image, the more we actually realize our unbelievable potential and capacity to build something beyond ourselves for his glory. As we take the yoke, which is the lifestyle and teaching of Jesus, we follow his way, that we get filled with his life by the Spirit, and we anchor everything we are and do in his truth. We are transformed to be carriers of his glory, to grow in our capacity, and then to mediate his loving, healing presence to those around us. And so this verse scares me, and I, didn't, I don't like it. So if anyone builds, this is talking to church leaders, but I read a bunch of commentaries, and it sort of, all of them kind of agree. It's for every believer, because every believer is a part of something. They're building something. If you agree, say amen. So here's the sober and last scripture we'll look at. If anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, the work of each builder will become visible for the day. Everyone say the day. Any time the word day is capitalized, open your eyes, son and daughter. <laughs> the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. There's two categories, that which is costly and precious and that which is common and easy. And the question, Cornerstone Church and Pastor Chad and every other ministry leader and all of us in this place is, when we say yes to becoming those stones that God wants to use to build a house, a city for his glory, oriented around Jesus, founded upon the truth of his word, filled and infused with the very life of the Holy Spirit, will we cut corners in the name of quickness? Will we, will we settle for wood, straw, and hay? Or will we say, God, we only want to build with that which is precious and costly? Because how many know, because the problems of humanity and the reality of our brokenness, because they're so deep, it's so easy to often reach for things that are quicker and more readily available instead of being forged and fashioned through the fire of his love. But what happens is if we erect or build something quick and in the arm of flesh, the scripture says it will be revealed. The kind of quality we built with will be shown for what it is. And I am convinced this is people. Because we're living stones in the new covenant. We're not building, quote-unquote, buildings, although we use buildings. It's people. 
Which means if there are areas in your character or mind that we have let slide or overlooked, it is time to come to the fire of God and say, Lord, cleanse that thing in me. That means if there is compromise, that means if there are things where you're like, oh, it doesn't really matter. I just dabble a little bit in that, and then I show up to church, and I'm good. Beloved, there is a day of fire coming, and why not jump in voluntarily now? Come on, man. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, because how many know we can't build our way into heaven? We receive the gift of righteousness by faith. Everyone say amen on that point. What I build does not save me. Do you hear me? Jesus Christ saves me, but Jesus Christ invites me to build something that lasts forever with him. Okay? If it survives, the builder will be rewarded. Come on, how many know that, okay, I don't have time. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but the builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Can you see that day of the Lord where we finally stand before Jesus? Just allow your imagination to go there. And you're saved. I mean, you believe that he died and rose and you were baptized. And, but you spent your whole life cutting corners. Your whole life you ignored the invitation of God to build something that will last. Take your time. Slow down. Get off the throne of your life. Receive my wisdom. Do it my way, not yours. And imagine standing before him. And he's like, welcome into the kingdom. But your whole life, because it was built with cruddy material, it's not going to be able to come with you. Listen, there is a revelation in Revelation that says one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Amen. But I have to believe that for many of us in that day, yes, there'll be joy in our heart that we get to enter through the eternal gate of the eternal city, the new Jerusalem. But I'm convinced some of the tears that will be shed will be from those who realize, bummer, I wasted my life. I mean, I believe that he was the Lord, but I didn't live like it. I believe that he wanted to save me, but then I just thought, oh, I got my ticket to heaven. It's all about me, and you built your own thing. But how many know that we can actually stand before him, and what we build can last, and we'll be rewarded for it? This is a wake-up call, 2019, to Chad and Cornerstone and everyone who's listening. You can build something of significance that can last forever. That when the fire of God hits it, its beauty is revealed, not its crummy, short-cornered, overlooking all of the faults and flaws. Come on, how many know fire goes both ways? It consumes the stubble, but it also refines the impurities. This is a sobering wake-up call. Choose with care how you build and upon what foundation. And we are resolved that Cornerstone Church, the only foundation sufficient, the only center that can hold a city and civilization together is Jesus Christ and Him alone period. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. Is everybody happy? I know it's a hard, some of it's hard. But for some of you, you ain't no spring chickens no more. Hey, I'm not, I'm almost 35. I'm not saying I'm a spring chicken. I'm saying that so that you'll laugh, but I'm also saying it as an invitation why not go out in a blaze of glory instead of a limp and grumpiness or bitterness? Why not sign up again, whether you're in your 60s or your 70s or your 80s, and say, you know what? 
I still got a stone to offer, and I'm alive through the glory and the goodness of Jesus, and whatever the Lord wants to build, I'm all in. Maybe you're 15, or you're 10, or you're 20, you're like, I got what I think to be the majority of my life ahead of me. What about right now building towards something that lasts in your life, that doesn't revolve around you, but around him, but he calls you to participate in this great building project. Oh, it's a sobering call, but it's a good wake-up call to say you don't have to stand before him where you just eke on by through the fire of his judgment. You can stand before him with fruitfulness because you chose to live a life of utter faithfulness and fidelity to Jesus. Stand up on your feet with me. We're all builders. Someone say it. We're all builders. No, like you mean it. We're all builders. Every person on the planet's building something towards some end, to some aim, to some purpose. But God is inviting us to partner with Jesus and each other to build towards something bigger than ourselves, to become a people of his glory. To become a people who are radically transformed, where we dethrone ourselves, our own selfishness and self-autonomy and our desire to name good and evil for our own pleasure and good and to submit to the wisdom and ways of God in Christ and say, Jesus, we want, we want to be stones that you can take and then fashion and form to become a spiritual house that literally houses the very glory and goodness of God. So maybe today you're like, dude, I... I want to be a living stone in the house of God. I don't want to harbor or hold. I want to submit. I want to jump in to the loving hands of the master architect, Jesus. <laughs> it says in Hebrews 3, I was studying that God is the master builder. <laughs> and the city that Jesus builds as a city of a bunch of people who say yes to the call to becoming a disciple, who move beyond the doors of convenience and consumer and what's in it for me, and they come to the revelation of the cross, and they say, Jesus, through the cross, make us a living stone. We want to offer the entirety of our lives that you would build us together towards something that lasts forever. And tonight, we have our very first builders meeting. That was my setup for the meeting. And you've been getting emails, and I know everyone's busy on Sunday night, and I'm not going to make you feel guilty because i got four kids. And it's not convenient to go home and to feed them and wake them up and then put their clothes back on from their nap or their jammies and come and then have my wife, not me, make all of their dinners beforehand. And then I know nothing about it's convenient. But can you hear from the Pastor Chad, tonight's really important. You need to be there. It's our first builders meeting. We're going to look very specifically at six different things that we believe saying yes to being a living stone at Cornerstone looks like in that which you want to partner with us in building. We're going to have fun. The Holy Trinity of church gatherings will be there, food, fun, and fellowship. The basic flow of the night, if you're like, well, what's in it for me? Well, good, wrong question, but here it is. We're going to build a culture that's devo devoted to Jesus and to discipleship. Come on, how many know it all revolves around him? And we're going to, and Matthew 25 is going to be our roadmap. So do some homework and read all of Matthew 25 three or four times today. And then out of that, we see Jesus wanting to build a culture where people are discovering their purpose and developing their potential. How many know you do not have to die with unrealized potential? God wants to call you out, equip you, and send you into the, into the game. 
We get that from the, the talents. And then he wants it to build us into a people that demonstrate his goodness and kingdom everywhere we go. So come tonight at five. But for those of you who can't or won't, you're still really loved and amazing. I didn't have a note for that part because I just assumed everyone would be here at five. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'll make something up. <laughs> something pastoral. You're, no, I'm just kidding. But how many received a word of the Lord this morning? Just raise your hand. Something that hit you, convicted you, brought you to tears or to tremble under his mighty word. Well, right now, just put your hands out and just say, Holy Spirit, what needs to shift? What needs to change? What needs to go deeper? What needs to be re-looked at? What needs to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus? What needs the fire of your love to cleanse? What compromise needs to be defeated? What what area, what shadow needs the life-giving presence of the Spirit to just beam on it so it loses its power in my life? What area of insecurity or, or insufficiency or what lie of lack have I been believing that says my potential and my hope and my purpose is washed up and over? Just ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me? What needs to shift in my mentality and in my heart that I could become a living stone that you use to build something for your glory that lasts forever? And just say, come Lord Jesus, have your way in me. That's one of the oldest prayers known to the church. Come Lord Jesus. Just say it. Just say, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus, the head of the church. The foundation of the building. The architect. The king of the kingdom. The Lord on the throne. Come Lord Jesus. And shift and shake and reshape what needs your life and your cleansing. And we just sign up again. Lord, build us into something beautiful that lasts. In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen. Um, amen. Yeah, he's so good. Thank you. As you leave, remember, your capacity to build is on. There's no match. It's a matter of what and with who and to whose end. So come tonight at 5 o'clock. We've got child care and taco salad. And if you need prayer for anything, come up. We want to pray with you tonight or this morning as well. Love you guys.